you this morning as we begin, way back over in the middle of the Bible, to the book of Psalms, that's where we're going to start this morning. I'll give you some verses to remember, and then we're going down the scriptural trail forwards to the New Testament. I'm going to say this, uh, to go to chapter 69 of Psalms. As we begin, let me, let me say this, uh, I won't express this in exclamatory fashion, actually exclamatory. Worship is a lifestyle. Amen. Worship is not only in the church. Worship is literally everywhere we go, and we see a remarkable example of that in the scripture I'm about to share with you this morning. And uh, I refer, actually, uh, I feel that I'm really moved and inspired to uh, seek out some of the writings of David when we're talking about relationship with the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, folks. A relationship with the Lord can be just a name. Maybe that's all it is to you. It's much deeper than that. Matter of fact, if your relationship with the Lord is just a name, you, your experience has not even begun to touch the deafness that God is. Amen. David knew that, and I want to start with this scripture this morning, and he said something here in the 69th chapter. Verse number 9, he said, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Now if you go backwards up the course to the previous scriptures in that chapter and other places, you'll find, again, as David many times found himself in the worst of the worst. And that's kind of where he's at in this, but he says something here, even though it's very remarkable, and I've just read it to you. Let me explain that just a little bit before we move on when he says for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up he's meaning it's literally consumed me well what is the zeal of thine house what's he talking about he's talking about a passion and an energy and a devotion my passion my energy my devotion that the house of the Lord has consumed me but what's he saying Many that have studied these writings of David and other books of the Bible, of course, as well, they believe that what David is really trying to say here is if you love someone, you're going to love them with everything you have. Amen. Remember that scripture. Go with me to Isaiah 56, 7. Keep going here and we're going to get to the New Testament here in just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 56. Matter of fact, I want to start just reading in verse 1 of that chapter and we'll stop here in just a minute. You there? 
Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment, justice, do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Has his salvation come to you? Has his righteousness been revealed to you? Amen. He said, blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keeping his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. We know God's for everybody, don't we? Amen. Jesus made that available. Amen. Amen. You come to Jesus, you come to God. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. God is able to touch and change the lives of anybody if they will but go to him. He continues in verse 4, says, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Folks, there's something about pleasing God and there's something about taking hold of the covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Amen. Amen. We've got to take hold of that. Now, this hasn't happened yet. This is Old Testament writing. But he's projecting forward. The Old Testament projects forward to the New Testament. Continues on. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. Get this. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Do you like that? Amen. You know where your name's recorded if you're washed in the blood of Jesus? Amen. You know where your name's recorded? It's in the... Lamb's Book of Life in the glory of heaven. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. Right here. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain the high place of God. Anybody interested in being in the high place? Amen. That's where, yes. to be. That's where we need to be wanting to be. And make them joyful. Yes. In where? My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted on mine altar. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Lord God, which gathereth the outcast of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered to him. There's a lot said there. I understand that's from the Old Covenant. Let me explain that again. I've got to say this. We've got to understand the New Testament covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, the covenant of the blood of the Lamb, the saving grace the sacrifice that he became, the cross that he bore, the crucifixion that he endured, the death that happened to him, but praise God, the resurrection Amen. out of the death, walking in life again, giving us the promise of eternal life and glory Amen. with him. Praise God. He glory. Any better Amen. Than that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. One more. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Keep that house of prayer in mind as we go to Jeremiah, the one Isaiah was speaking of. You notice that he said he'd bring all into that, into that house of prayer. Everybody would have access to the house of prayer. Let me say something about the house of prayer, folks. The house of prayer is the house of praise. Amen. It's the house of worship. It's the house of loving God. 
It's a house of surrendering to God. It's a house of giving ourselves to God. Prayer is all-inclusive, amen, of everything that we can access God by, which, and through. All right, Jeremiah. chapter yet? No. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> chapter 7. You find him right after Isaiah? Amen. You know who Isaiah and Jeremiah were? Prophets, right? Prophets of who? Prophets of God. Mouthpieces for the Lord. Those that expressed the will of God to the people, right? In those days, that's how it worked. I'll tell you something else. When the prophet shows up, there's problems. Remember that? When the prophet has to show up, there's problems at hand. Severe problems. That's why the prophet shows up. But God gives him sometimes wrathful things to speak. Sometimes he grants opportunities through the prophet. If you will do this, then I will not do the judgment. If you will serve me, if you will love me, if you will honor me, if you will keep my commandments and my words, instead of straying off into a world of evil, I will bless you. That's what God says to the prophets. See what he says right here. Now up to this point, I'm going to give you a particular verse. I'm not going to read all of this. But it's what God is saying that he will do from verse 1 of chapter 7 up until the point I want to get to. And I'm going to start with verse 7. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Now this is a blessed, this is the promise of God to the nation of Israel at this time. I will bring you to this place. I will cause you to, to dwell. I will give you this wonderful experience of relationship with me if you will but walk in the place of the Lord. Now he says in verse 8, he says, Behold, you trust in lying words that you cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense into Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not? And come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations or these things. Folks, we're living in a world today that absolutely believe that. Let's go do what they want to do, live like they want to live, every possible thing that they can possibly imagine to do against the will and the purpose of God. And think that they can just walk into the house and just be blessed and wonderfully just, God's just going to spray them with, with miracles and all sorts of things. Now, that's a whole other lesson. It's not even where we're going. <laughs> Verse 11. Here we go. In this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. The scripture sound familiar to anybody? Who else talked about those things that we just read out of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalms? Who else spoke those words? Later, much later. Jesus himself. Where we're going this morning. 
Gospel of John. This is also recorded in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, 15. Reference that. Kind of some lengthy scriptures in those chapters. You'll find it. I don't want to explore that particular this morning, although I'm going to reference it here in just a little bit. I want to key in on what is recorded in John in chapter 2. I've asked this question here multiple times. I'll ask it again this morning because I think we need to to tell ourselves the, the answer to this. What do we come here for? What do we come to the house of God for? I will be the first to tell you, you could get a variety of answers. What is the main purpose we come to the house of God for? Can anybody here tell me? God. To worship God. To worship God. That's primary, that's central, that's right up front before anything else. Jesus here in this chapter 2 of John. Now I said this was recorded in Matthew and Mark, and it is. And. There's thought here that maybe they're all, all three of them, including John, is describing one event that occurred only one time. However, there's debate, and I, myself, I, I see it as two, because over in Matthew and Mark, uh, we find that this event occurs real close up to the point of Christ's crucifixion, just a little bit before. John declares it in the, pretty much the immediacy beginning of Christ's ministry. So that's quite fetched far different if you think about that. So I'm going to give it two occurrences, and I believe it's at least in the Word at least three times in kind of two different ways for a reason and a purpose. If we don't get it the first time, we're going to get it the second time or the third time. When you see things repeated in God's Word, that, that's pretty much explanatory to us that we need to be receiving what we are getting. <coughs> One reason, because I guarantee you God is going to take care of it all when this thing ends. Amen. So we need to be about what we need to be about now. Now, now, this, uh, many times, you, you don't see a lot of exclamation marks in God's Word, you know, the punctuations. But that doesn't leave out the fact that many times, whoever's speaking, it's an exclamatory either word or exclamatory phrase or paragraph or at least maybe a whole list of scripture. It's exclamatory. That means it, it has drive, it has force, it, it's to be understood, it's to have emphasis behind it. And we see that here. Jesus gets very emphatic about something that in our day and time and even in his day and time and even before that because where we started in Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah we find that the problem did not lie with God the problem lie with people the people of God 
as we read, the people God had promised a promised land, wonderful blessings, great things, happiness and joy in life. And there seemed to be almost always one thing is where they began to err, and that was in worship. They began to leave off true, genuine worship, and that routed them off into a terrible, ugly, sinful, wicked world. Because they totally forgot, and I'm reluctant to call worship a concept because it's not, because concepts are kind of something some man come up with. But how about God worship at work? The true worship that we're supposed to have for God. We, we talk worship here almost on a constant basis. That's for a reason. If we don't learn and we don't gain and we don't understand how we are to worship the Lord, we are missing a great deal. And we also got to understand the danger of not worshiping. I'm going to tell you somebody else other than God that sees you worshiping. And he does not like for you to worship the Lord. Because there's power in true genuine worship. Again, I'll go back to John chapter 4 where Jesus told the little lady at the well, God is a spirit and you must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's power. That's power. In this instance, we're going to look at here. This is right after, anybody know the first miracle Jesus ever performed? Changed the water to wine. This is right after that. That's why I said John differs from uh, Matthew and Mark. Because Jesus just begun his ministry. Matter of fact, his mama said, hey, we're at this wedding here and they don't have any wine. I loved his answer. He said, woman, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Mama knew who he was, didn't she? Amen. And he did. First marriage. <coughs> Would you call that miraculous? Amen. Anybody want to try turning a glass of water into a glass of the best wine you could ever have? Ain't nobody do that but Jesus, right? Amen. Nobody can do things other than Jesus. A lot of things that people think are impossible immediately after that the word doesn't tell us how many days but it seems pretty immediately after that because that's the next thing we find in scripture here my heading says Christ cleanses the temple what's the temple where do we start at what did David say the zeal for thine house as consuming now in that day there was not a temple because David was denied building the temple because the word says he had blood on his hands God said you can't build my house you've got too much blood on your hands so who built it David's son Solomon right Solomon's temple to date the motion monetarily enormous venture that everyone set out to do. Can you imagine once Solomon's temple was completed? Can you imagine walking into that place? Which, can you imagine being able to have done that? And I'm not, talk, not talking about the splendor that it involved. I'm talking about the Spirit of God. See, Backing up, David was really concerned because David, pointing in Scripture, says he was living in a cedar house. Sealed house, cedar house, extravagant house. He was the king, right? 
And he was so concerned that he lived in a better place than God had because all God had at the time was the tabernacle of the wilderness, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, that, that chest that God resided in. The Spirit of God was there. And David wanted a house so bad. That's why I said, the zeal of thine house hath consumed Because David had read. Evidently, he had read. David was a reader of the ancient manuscripts. He was a reader of, of the, the, the prophecies of the books of Moses. He had read how God blessed his people. How God wonderfully provided, miraculously. And he was so aware of what we refer to as the Shekinah glory of God that hovered over the tabernacle. The presence of God hovered. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Solomon built the temple. The Bible tells us, matter of fact, that David loved God so much. And we find that if you'll read scripture, if you'll read the writings of David and the history of David, you'll find David had a love for God. Matter of fact, in his end years at the project of the temple that Solomon was going to build, David laid out the design of that temple as was given to him by God, to his son. And he gave all of his life holdings to the construction of the temple. That's how much he loved God. 3,000 talents of gold. In that day, they specified that a, a talent of gold, and there's a little difference in this. There's different opinions, different thoughts. But at least what they can frame back to the day the temple was built, a talent was about the weight of a person, say, give it 120 pounds. Can you imagine 3,000 talents weighing 120 can you imagine the value of that alone that's what David held in his treasury to give into this project because he knew it was going to be the resting place the habitation place the temple of God and we know that it was constructed it was completed although it was destroyed twice afterwards 586 BC and 70 AD you know why it was destroyed because people got out of line People lost what true worship to God meant. Ventured off into other places and other things and getting involved in all kinds of worldly contamination. God goes so far. He goes further than we would go, much further, but he goes so far and then he says there's a place that's got to be cleansed. Here we find it. This is a New Testament. Chapter 2, John, verse 13. When the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. <coughs> it tells us something, doesn't it? What have we been talking about thus far? The temple of God? Elaborate? Spectacular. You ever read of all the construction of the of the temple? Anybody ever read about that? As Solomon built it, what all was involved? Let's leave that alone a minute and let's back up and talk again about the spectacular of the spiritual 
content. Here they, here they are. Now, I don't know what Jesus expected. The Word doesn't tell us that. You know, I mean, as well, they already knew. But this is in the Word for a reason. He might have expected great worship going on. <clears throat> he might have expected joyous praise. Does that sound reasonable if, 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 if you were Jesus? If you're going to walk into the great temple of God, is that what you might expect? <coughs> Maybe the Shekinah glory? So what did he find? Actually, shrinking it down, he found an emporium. The worldliness that was now set up in the temple of God. Read some more here and we'll back up. Did I mention the changers of money sitting? Did I say that? And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. There's an interesting point given here. And the point being that Jesus fashioned a scourge, a whip, out of cords. To us, we should gather from that that it took him a little while. He didn't perform a miracle and make a whip all of a sudden. He didn't pick one up that was laying nearby. He didn't pull one out of his robe. It said he fashioned one of cords. It means he had to weave them and take time to braid them, probably all this time looking around. I think there's a great message in the weaving of the whip to start with. If you don't get it at first, you're sure not going to like what comes next. So he wove this scourge, this whip. And this is one area of scripture that some people see as extreme and even argue the fact that Jesus would go <coughs> to this extreme with people. Jesus loved people. He'd never do anything like that, right? didn't see anywhere in there where it actually hit anybody said he drove them out with it who bore the authority here he did so what does all this have to do with us why did you come I'll tell you this, there's emporiums everywhere and they're situated under steeples and places with churches on the night. 
because they set up everything but true worship. What's true worship? Why did Jesus drive these out? What, what was the reason? <clears throat> if we look at this deeply, you can see something in this. I did. And it's this. Let's read verse 18 before I comment on that. I'm 16, I'm sorry. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. What's merchandise? Now, many have taken that, and I, and I argue against this myself of using the church for other things other than. Um, but here you have to you have to understand what he's actually saying. You've totally changed this thing. From the house of God, the temple of God, into a worldly institution. It's not worship anymore. It's what everyone wants to make it. Now true, at this point, the Passover was coming, and it was traditional, matter of fact, mandatory, that people had to give offerings to the temple to represent the family at the time of Passover. That's the Jewish custom. But they had distorted it to such a degree that now they were making personal profit, and along with that, a lot of other things were going on. We find that because he says, let me read it. You've made my father's house a house of merchandise. Notice verse 17 where we, let's read it. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Uh -huh. The love for my father's house, the devotion to my father's house, the energy for my father's house, the commitment to my father's house has consumed me. That's right out of the Old script, uh, Testament where I cited a moment ago. His disciples remembered. It's a, the temple of the Lord is a holy place, right? Does anybody agree with that? The temple of the Lord is a holy place. The sanctuary of God, where the Shekinah glory is supposed to reside, is a sacred place. Amen? And mind what we can receive when it is. There's... There's a tremendous amount of lessons. There's a tremendous amount of sermons that can be preached right out of these scriptures. But I'm going one direction. And I know you might say, well, my, my Bible says this, or my Bible says that. Your Bible's most probably correct. But as God's word is alive and speaks to us, I believe in any given moment, in any given instance, for any reason whatsoever, then we take that word and we utilize it to bring God's people back where they need to be. Amen. Because that's the whole thing that Isaiah and Jeremiah were doing previously, trying to bring the people back where they needed to be, and it all surrounded worship of the Lord. That's what David's calling, basically. The zeal, the worship. Worship the house of the Lord. It's consuming because 
if you truly and genuinely worship, there's so many things that come along with that. There's an energy that comes with worshiping the Lord out of your heart and out of your soul. But when it becomes contaminated with nonsense or things construed to be religious when they hold no religious content at all, You know, these people look religious. You know why they look religious? Because they were selling what the people needed to do religious things, which is present that temple offering at this time that they're there. But they were just as rotten as rotten could be. Back up with me. I mentioned it a while ago. Let's go over here to Mark. Chapter 11. Mark uses different terms as well. This is another bit of evidence that these were two occasions. Especially by the exclamatory term that Jesus himself uses here. John didn't use that. Book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 15. Same account. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the, your Bible say temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. See, this was all for sacrifice. Uh, uh, again, religious things to sacrifice, but it had been contaminated. Worship can be contaminated. Folks, listen to me. Worship can be contaminated by allowing worldly elements to enter in. Please get that. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. What he's trying to stress here, and I'll read on in just a minute, what he's trying to stress here is that the temple of God is for one thing. It's for worship. Amen. It's for worshiping God. Glorifying God. Presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to the... Remember the incense from the Old Testament chapters we read a moment ago? What God said about if they burn their incense before Him, that's what they did then. But He was talking about burning it in a wonderful fashion realizing and understanding who they're burning incense to which was the method in those days burning incense to the God of all the creator of all they, they said if you will realize and understand where you're going and what you're doing when you get there and leave the world out of this thing I will bless you and folks it's being construed and contaminated to high degree in the day we're living I'm not saying that that things can't take place. Things take place all the time. Listen, what the scriptures say. And when I say things taking place, I'm talking about religious looking things. Is it religious simply because it looks religious? What's your response? Is something religious just because it looks religious? Of course not. We can identify true religion when it relates to God only. To the service and the devotion and the commitment to God, to worship to God, to living for God. 
you know, in particular, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and various scriptures stress the importance of keeping the Sabbath. And, and I know that we've moved far from that. In the New Testament, there's argument there of what we should do with that. But it's all about honoring God. Honoring God. Let's go on. Keep reading here. Verse 17, And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? He asked him a question. I'll ask you the question. Is God's house should be called by all nations, by us here, the house of prayer? Is that what it's supposed to be? Again, in describing prayer, worship, praise, honor to God, glorification of the Most High. Is that not what we're doing? Is that not what we're here for? Thank you, Lord. And I'm going to use a long word here because I've got to use it. Jesus made an antonymical statement right here. Antonymical, it means from one end of the spectrum meaning one thing to the other end meaning something totally different. Antonym. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. What do you say? You've made it a den of thieves. That's an extreme statement, isn't it? You have made it a den of thieves. What goes on with a den of thieves? Can you imagine a den of thieves? Okay, some things that's in a den of thieves. No honor. No respect, no commitment, no devotion. No trust, absolutely. A lot of things. We see terms in the Bible many times, and sometimes we don't lie there long enough to try to understand what it is, especially the words of Christ are saying. That you've taken this thing and you've absolutely changed it. From what it is meant to be by the principal author of God and what it's become in the temple. Totally changed it. That's why he drove them out. What happens when worshiping God's altar? What happens when worshiping God is strictly by everybody else's opinion, whatever they want to do? Well, what we see in this, of course, is the making of money. But that's not the root. Many people say, well, this is the problem. Well, it's mentioned. Because they were trying to profit off of worship. Still goes on today. Profiting off of worship. The extreme here, looking deep into the verses, the extreme here, when these kind of things begin to take place, as was taking place here, it boils down to individuals. He didn't name all the thieves, he just said a den of thieves. When it boils down to individuals, it brings it all into a very tiny focus that we can look at. It becomes self-centered, self-controlled, all about me, all about self, everything I can get, whatever I've got to do. Now, how does that fit with worship? 
How does that fit with the temple of God? What, how does that even connect? With everything. We're self-guiding individuals, are we not? Are you not responsible for your own actions, or own things you do? What we really need to see here out of all of this, and I want to go to another, let's just go ahead and did I finish that up. Yeah, let's look at Matthew because I want you to see that I mentioned I'm not going to leave you without <coughs> chapter 21 of Matthew. This, this, this laces this together. Again, signifying the importance. 21.12, book of Matthew. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. Amen. But he said it again here, But you have made it a den of thieves. Now I want you to notice something very particular right here. He'd run them out, right? Mm -hmm. Get out of here. Yep. You're, you're contaminated. My father's house is a house of prayer. It's a house of blessing. It's a house of, of, of honor and respect and reverence and, and many more things. But notice what happens after he disperses them. Is it right afterwards? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What a statement. Why? Were they going to get healed going into a contaminated catastrophe that it was designed as worship and religiosity? Were they going to get anything from that? Absolutely not. But look what happened instantly when the glory of God, Jesus himself, walked into the temple. Yeah. Look what happened. Come on. Supernatural miracles begin yeah. to occur. Amen. Hadn't changed, folks. This isn't a long-ago historical event that's been snuffed out and pushed off the pages. God is still able to work miracles. He's still able to bless you. He's still able to deliver people in bondage. And he's especially still able to save souls. Amen. Why is this even in the Word? Several reasons. It draws us, should draw us, to an understanding of the value of true, genuine worship in the house of prayer, that being the temple of God. Amen. That extends into every single one of us that have received Christ, by the way, because we are now the individual temples of God. Amen. Amen. Do we realize it? What do we go get ourselves involved in taking the temple of God and involving it in everything ungodly and unpleasing? This goes different directions. This is a message, not of doom, but this is a message of encouragement. When we honor God, when we honor the temple of God, be it the church house, our own selves with the Spirit of God living in us, through Christ. It's the only way you're going to get it, by the way. Nobody can feed it to you. 
Nobody can give you a drink to give you Jesus. Or a fancy word. Individual. Person. And when the chief priest and scribe saw the wonderful things that he did, the wonderful things that he did, the wonderful things that he did. I wonder how long it had been since they saw the wonderful things. Mm. Probably a long time that this had been going on in the temple. And the children crying in the temple, talking about those that had been coming and healed and saved and others as well, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased, or they were angry, or they were put out. They didn't like it. Tells you something in itself, doesn't it? Kind of makes you wonder who they were working for. Verse 16, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? Are, are you hearing what all these people are saying? Well, that's a dumb question. But they asked it. Sure he heard it. Look at his response. Yes. Yay. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Come on. Where's the babes and the suckling? They just say this is infants, but actually, who is it that's crying? Who is it that's in the temple praising? It's those that are after the nutritious blessings of God. Amen that come to worship him that come to praise him that come to the house of prayer with a solemn understanding of why they're arriving yeah. and knowing that when they do arrive God is going to be there to meet them mm -hmm. so he is with us amen, amen. why well, the message are we doing something wrong not saying that at all. But our worldly system is. Sadly, some of our religious system is. That's their own business. I'm not. I'm just advising folks. Probably we all know if you if you watch anything at all. Real worship. What takes place in the house of prayer, the house of praise, must be God first and God only. That's the invitation to the Holy Spirit. That's what brings the ushering of the Holy One in. That's when supernatural, miraculous things occur when God is truly honored and truly respected and truly praised and worshiped. And close. Maybe this account, this long ago distant event maybe it looks dim to you you might say well what what does it bear what's the significance of it now what's he going to do first of all that we can understand 
say this is how we treat this thing that houses that houses the presence of the Lord if you're saved then how do we from that generating outwards which what we do affects everything else we do and everywhere else we go even walking into a sanctuary of the Lord a temple of God as small as this one may be or a huge cathedral somewhere does it does it strike you that that's a reverent place that that's a place of the holiness of God or should be when we see this correctly when we get the understanding of it and where we first have to apply any scripture where we have to first apply any teaching is to ourself don't look across the aisle at somebody else look inwards what am I doing when I go, what am I doing? I've told many people this. Don't wait till you get to the church to start worshiping the Lord. You ought to already be in worship because that's supposed to be a lifestyle, okay? But if we've got to try to get the motion going and about the time to dismiss, you finally get a little bit clicking, you missed it. You missed it. I'll leave this with you leave the whole thing with you. You, ha- you all have awesome potential. Every one of you. To bless God, to glorify Him, to worship Him, to, and then find the results of that. To find the results. Because He blesses. And bless Him. Let's pray. Dear God, we come in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for these people, every one of them. Thank you for this service today. Thank you, God, for these words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for Jesus, the sacrifice you became. Thank you, Lord, that you raised your son from that grave that we can enjoy eternal life in heaven with you and a joyful life here. Pray for the one in this place today, God, or maybe more than one, however many. God, I just pray, God, that this message is touched. I pray that it takes root. I pray that it grows. I pray that it blossoms within them, Lord. I just ask you, God, to do the work that you were designed to do. I'll leave it at that, Lord. Thank you, God, again. Praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.